Hey guys, Vogon here with a different start to the episode. Um, not some good news to start, but, you know, unfortunately, Termin Goat won't be able to join us in the podcast from now on. You know, reason being life, the universe, and everything in the end, right? Uh, I can only thank Goat for his dedication and support to this project during the initial episodes, to be honest. You know, he was a warrior managing his time, um, you know, between he, this, uh, this project, between... Yeah, his amazing switch articles, his own life, all of that with, you know, a very few hours of sleep between. So, you know, I can only say, man, Goat, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your support, your help, your friendship. You know, it really means a lot. Now, if you're not really doing it already, just make sure to go and subscribe to his blog and follow him on social media too, um, at terramingoat.com. And with that said, let's get on with the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Thonk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it sell. My guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast turned vendor, starting a hobby at a very young age, creator of famed keyboards such as the Fiel, Tind, and the Clipper. His brand has become a symbol of quality and amazing support. He comes from a place where winter is coming, and now venturing into other areas of manufacturing as well. Leandrin, welcome to the thought. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. No, no worries, man. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate that. I hope my pronunciation of the keyboard names made them justice, right? <laughs> How do you say them in, in Norwegian, just out of curiosity? So I know that fjell means mountain. Yeah. But how do you say them in Norwegian, first of all? Fjell uh, is fjell. Fjell. Okay. So, so usually Americans, and uh, uh, they say fjell instead of fjell. Because mm -hmm. uh, the L's are uh, different in uh, English, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, clipper is clipper. Clipper. It's, it's very similar to how you uh, pronounce it. So yeah. would be with an A it's, if it's you wanted good. to yeah. do it in, <laughs> in, in, in English, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, tinned. Tinned is the last one. Yeah. Just so tinned. I know that fjell means mountain. So what does yeah. tinned and clipper? Mean. Um, clipper means cliff, and uh, tin means peak or sharp mountain, basically. Okay, so all so, all the same concept of your logo, right? Yeah, yeah, good, definitely. Good. Uh, it's mountain themed. Yes, yeah. yes. So, as you know, we always start with the you know common questions to every guest, and you know the first one being the most cheesy one of them all, but you know it is how it is. So, what got you into the mechanical keyboard hobby? To start with, I uh, did start with the Razer keyboard in uh, 2014, like many people in this community. Um, and I wanted to try some new switches. Uh, the Razer keyboard had MX Blues the, mm -hmm. back when Razer actually used Sherry MX switches. Uh, and I wanted to try all the weird switches like uh, MX Greens and MX Clears and uh, yeah, the more unusual kind of switches. So I quickly upgraded to the Cooler Master TK keyboard, which did have MX Greens actually in a Oof. production keyboard. With Oof. yeah, kind of rare and uh, uh, a pain to type on. Yes, but yeah. Yes, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a funny one. Is that my one of my first uh, builds was a TKL with MX Greens, and I used them for ten minutes. And I used them yeah. for ten minutes, and then my <laughs> ex-wife went like, "Are you going to use that all the time?" And I went like no, right? And that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It's it's a pain to type on, but uh, it's it's cool to try. And MX greens are some of the more unusual kind of uh, MX switches. So correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know the MX green exclusive club. Uh, and then um, I think it was uh, uh, the beginning of uh, 2015 uh, when I asked Vortex Keyboards, you know, the maker of uh, the poker keyboards. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked them if they could send me their new Poker 3 keyboard, which was in development at the time, um, which is now, uh, you know, for sale <laughs> everywhere. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I wanted to try the keyboard, uh, but uh, I wanted 
to ask them to send it to me early before it came out because they had posted pictures of their engineering samples and stuff. So I told them, if you send it to me, I'll take it up in the Norwegian mountains and take pictures of the keyboard. <laughs> uh, and they actually did. So I did uh, receive a Poker 3 keyboard with MX Clears, which I had never tried before. And uh, this is uh, uh, my first 60% keyboard. Uh, I've been using 60% uh, keyboards since I got the Poker uh, 3 keyboard. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that uh, that was the start of my journey into mechanical keyboards. Right. So from there, right, when did you really actually realize yourself that you had taken the red pill, right, and to, to quote Matrix, but how... When did you realize that you had really went into the deep rabbit hole of this hobby yourself? Yeah, um, I think it was uh, when I uh, wanted to actually make keyboard parts because I was interested in how this Poker 3 keyboard was built together. So I did uh, disassemble the keyboard and look at all the parts. And uh, yeah, I wanted to make some custom stainless steel plates for this keyboard and all other standard 60% mechanical keyboards. And there wasn't that many at the time. This was around when the GH60 PCB was in development, which is uh, the, the birth of right. the standard 60% yeah. uh, PCB. Um, so yeah, I wanted to do that. Uh, I had no idea how to design anything, so I asked a community member named JD Carpe, which is also the, the designer of the JD40 keyboard mm -hmm. uh, early on, uh, asked if, yeah, can you draw some 60% standard plates and I'll, I'll run them. I'll contact some to, uh, someone to make them and send them to me and I'll send it to the group by participants. Uh, so yeah, I did that uh, around uh, early 2015. That was my first group by. Um, yeah. So was it a very fast... Uh descent into the rabbit hole you think yeah yeah very fast uh this was <laughs> uh i did receive my poker in february i think maybe march and this group i was in march so yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it was very fast yeah. yeah on that note so so then what are you currently typing on at the moment uh i'm currently typing on the tinned prototype oh, the first one nice. uh, um with getron inks lubed Nice, uh, nice. Carbon fiber plate and uh, some Infiniki PBT Gran keycaps. Oh, Gran. Nice, nice, nice. Now, do you even small, right? And I guess from your answer, we already know the answer for that. But uh, what is your favorite layout and why is that? Okay, I, I don't use keyboard smaller than 60% because I feel uh, like at that point I uh, lose the benefits of a smaller uh, keyboards uh, when I lose the number O, basically. So um, I kind of need it, but I do understand that people can get used to using a 40%, but uh, I've tried and it's not for me. Yeah, that's uh, what you so, mean. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite one, again, is uh, I would say that, yeah, 60 is a really, really nice format. Um, although for work, I tend to use uh, arrow keys and, and, you know, my favorite one now for work is 75, but you know, yeah, yeah 60, 65, yeah. 75 is that, that would be the, you know, and we all start with a hundred percent and we all think, how can I leave without uh, all those keys? But the truth is that you, you can, and you learn. Yeah, to, to for, for sure. For sure. I've been using 60% in five years now. And uh, yeah. Yeah. True. Um, so do you like them stiff or do you like them wiggly? Now this is, could be a very double-edged question but you know what what is your favorite keyboard mounting style in that end uh, personally i enjoy a more rigid typing experience but i do like uh, a little bounce in the plate so it, the keyboard doesn't need to flex down when i type on the individual keys but i want uh, the plate uh, to not feel like it's uh, an integrated plate i want the plate to have a tiny bit of moving room so mm -hmm like a gasket mount, which uh, in carbon fiber, uh, for example, uh, like the way tinned is done and the key cold boards is done is just perfect for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but I have made like uh, 
some uh, keyboards with just PCB mounting and removing the center post in a tray mount. And uh, I do like that, uh, that as well. But uh, my personal favorite is the tinned mounting style at the yeah. moment. It's funny. It's funny because, like you, like you mentioned, I um I have a I have a board which is just PCB mounted, uh, and like you said, it it's a very curious feeling, right? The, just the the PCB itself with no plate, the flexing on it, it's ac- actually quite nice, but not that flexing because it still screws down to the bottom, right? But it yeah. gives you a little flexibility that it's quite enjoyable, right? I have I I haven't had the the luxury of 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 trying a, a sandwich mount yet, but you know, we'll get there. We'll get there for sure, right? Now, yeah, yeah. on that note, right? So I guess, again, like you said, probably the question has been answered. But, you know, our question is, ergo what, bruv? So basically, you know, in terms of ergonomics, what are the limits of it to you? You know, do you would you ever go to the split splurgo gang uh, or not? Uh I don't think I will do that. Uh, I want to try some ergo boards, but that's just because I'm curious, not because I think I will change to it. I try to adjust my uh, typing position on a normal 60% instead, uh, like in having, uh, you know, hovering the hands instead of having them uh, at the table and, you know, moving the uh, mouse closer to the keyboard so my arms are just straight forward and stuff like that and uh, adjust my seating position and that's my uh, ergonomics so far uh, aside from that i don't use any ergonomic uh, keyboards but uh, i've tried some uh, old 40 uh, percent split keyboards and stuff like that and uh, i don't really enjoy typing on it and i couldn't <laughs> uh, see myself learning to do it either uh, i would need a lot of time and when I'm de- uh, developing keyboards that are not in that size. I want to use the keyboards I developed for a long time, you know, so if I try to use a 40% split and then, you know, I don't have time to use it extensively and then you can't learn it either, so. Correct, correct. I, I just think that it takes a, you know, it takes an effort to 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 move into that into that area of, of yeah. the hobby, right? So, so, yeah. Now, on that uh on this point we normally now go into questions which we do you know the individual questions to each guest so you know i know that you started your vendor career in between uh, brackets at the time but um i know that you started like you mentioned doing plate group buys so you were 15 at the time which is crazy right so why did you decide to take the route of doing these group buys and you know and the huge amount of work and responsibility you know especially at that age, right, of 15, because most of us would not do it at that age. Um, I did uh, start at a very young age, that's true. Uh, But I didn't reveal my age at the time, so uh, no one knew uh, what my age was. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, my my English was so-so, but, you know, they knew I was from Norway, so I could just say, oh, English is not my main language. Correct. Uh, and then you know um so uh i didn't understand how group buys worked at the time i just uh, looked uh, through them on uh, geekhack and uh wow uh, these are taking so long to finish why why does that happen uh, and i wanted to prove that i could deliver something faster than these group buys which is kind of stupid thought because <laughs> there is so much work that went yeah. uh, into these uh, group eyes but i wanted to challenge myself and uh, see if i could uh, do that so the, the first group i actually was uh, a huge uh, success but uh, yeah that uh, that has to do with how simple it is to just produce plates and send them out well, uh, compared to other type of uh, group eyes like uh, keycaps and stuff like that. I know, but you mentioned that, but it's not that simple, right? Uh, you know, we know that group eyes, even though you can say that, oh yeah, plate group eyes are simple, like, you know, it's we know that it's not that simple. So, you know, if I was a new person trying to start, a, a, you know, a new person in a hobby trying to start a small group buy, you know, is are there any tips lessons you learned when you were doing them that you would like to share with people you know stuff that 
you would say you know you learned while you were doing it uh, yeah definitely um the first one is kind of uh, kind of controversial in the community because i say you should not be afraid to have profit margins you need to have uh, you need to earn some money on this uh, nice yeah it, you need to do that because it's not just for your own uh, willing to continue and deliver the group by but uh, you know it's a security net because thing will fail and you will uh, receive bad products and uh, shipping will shipping prices will uh, change and uh, you know there are import fees and stuff you need to uh, need to have the capital to pay for if uh, there is a barrier there so you need to have profit margins uh, and you need to think about um, how you're going to deliver the packages. Like you need packaging material, you need um, a deal with a, a, a postal service or, and you need to think about uh, can they come and get the packages from you or do you need to deliver them to the post office? Do you need to fill out the customs forms? There's just a lot of, you know, uh, paperwork to do in a group buy. Yeah, I think I think people don't really, you know, again, when people look at group buys, they just look and think, oh, it's simple, it's just a plate. But like you said, you know, there's a lot of stuff involved that people don't really think about, even to the small detail of a customs form that you need to fill in, right? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, in, uh, you know, in uh, in the f- first Fjell group buy, I needed to fill out by hand because of some stupid uh, rules here in Norway on the <laughs> customs form I need to fill out by hand like uh, one uh, 100 pages of Jesus, just yeah. customs form because it was like two A4 pages per package that needed to yeah. be filled out uh, and I didn't have a car at the time and I didn't have a deal with any postal service so I needed to actually go and deliver all this packages by hand to the post office so i just had to put them in a bag uh, on my back and bicycle down to the post office and deliver all these packages yeah with tins which are you know let's just say that they're not uh, light right yeah for sure so you started your your career like i say your vendor career doing group, group plate buys do you ever thought that um you know one day you would be become a fully fledged vendor with an actual store you know, how did this part come about? Well, I ran five group buys uh, via Geekhack. I just continued the plate group buys. They were uh, super popular. So I just continued to expand them uh, with uh, not just uh, multiple materials and colors, but also uh, new designs, uh, you know, Winkless and HHKV plates. Uh, for an MX keyboard, but, you know, blockers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and uh, I also incorporated PCBs from uh, a co- uh, community vendor, Gone Keyboards, which okay. was very popular before. Uh, I actually had him ship uh, a ton of PCBs to Norway um, uh, for me to include in the group buy. And uh, I ran five group buys via Geekhack before I uh, opened uh, my online store, uh, which, you know, I felt like it was kind of a natural progression towards an online store because I needed to handle so many orders and it gets super chaotic with just uh, Google Sheets, you know, for all orders. So, yeah, I wanted uh, an inventory system and fulfillment system and uh, stuff like that. So I moved to an online store and I started to slowly stock things, which is quite difficult uh, but uh, I did have some stuff in stock for um, mainly Europeans uh, in the store uh, because of shipping cost but I did sell everywhere in the world especially when I ran the pre-orders that was just anywhere in the world um, yeah so, so it's funny so it's funny but but um, you know especially I don't know and again me coming from a much later stage in the hobby right but would you think that at the time, did you think that it would be a sustainable business in a market so small at the time as keyboard, the keyboard hobby? No, not uh, not in the beginning. I was just, you know, I wasn't earning much. It was just to give myself some free keyboard parts, you know, and then yeah. <laughs> sell the rest of them. Um, 
um and uh yeah i didn't have a you know my business was set up quite a bit later it was just a hobby project in the start there is different rules for different uh, countries how how much you can earn before you need to create a business and yes. stuff like that mm-hmm. uh and that is also important to think about when you're running a group if you exceed the limit you need to maybe declare create a company yeah, because is, yeah 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 uh so i didn't think of it like that but when i start to sell the fjell keyboard uh that was when oh okay so uh now we have large quantities of the same item and uh, then you can start to uh, generate some profits and uh, that's how we get a sustainable business good good so you mentioned i i noticed that you mentioned on your website about an awful business idea right so yeah can you share us with us just a little bit more about that you know looking back would there be any changes you had made at the time regards to it but you know maybe just talk a bit about why you say it was an awful business idea uh first of all i thought it was a good idea to charge 25 dollars in shipping for the fiel anywhere in the world uh <laughs> because i plan to incorporate some of that cost into the cost of the product you know to yes. show a lower shipping price which is uh, a good idea if you want the customer to actually want to buy your product uh, correct and not pay like 70 dollar in shipping so but uh it was not enough because there were a lot of costs uh that i didn't plan for so i ended up actually losing money on the fiel group uh not by much but i didn't have any profits on the fjell, uh, first um uh, fiel group i it's a it, it's a curious thing that you mentioned right because james on, on the previous episode was also saying that his first uh you know his first project with the rain, he ended up losing money. And I think that is something that people don't really realize a lot of times is that, you know, it's not, it's, some people think that, oh yeah, th- these guys are in between brackets stealing us with the prices. But people don't realize that, yeah, if things go bad, you end up being out of pocket on yeah. on on on, uh, on on the project itself, right? Definitely. So this was at the time I think this was in my own economy. So uh, you know there is a quite a bit a uh, bit of uh, liability when it comes to just having selling products and having the company uh, economics together with your own. So uh, that was when I decided to actually create a company. Uh, so how right how after how Fjell. were how old were you at the time then uh, with the Fjell? Uh, that was 2017, so I was uh, 17 or 18. Let's see, 17, I think, when I started to plan the group I, and then I ran the. I have, uh, let's say, yeah, I was 18 when shipping and uh, stuff for the film. Here I am. Uh, Here I am, up. an old fart thinking how how has this kid made. And you, and you need to be 18 to create a company. Right? Yes, correct. So yeah. so I did create uh, a company uh, when I was 18. So just right after uh, Fjell Arvo. Was it scary to do it? You know, did you, uh, you know, again, and I know that um, you can do a company as your own personal business, but you, still you, you need to think that you might need to pay taxes, etc. Was it scary to make that that move and, and to decide that way for yourself? Yeah. Definitely, taxes are super scary. Uh, you never know uh, the proper rules for stuff and doing business internationally. And you know, there there isn't. You know, you actually need an accountant, really, yes. uh, to do this. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, right. so, so I created something called a uh, sales cap, which is similar to a limited liability company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the business could be its own. Uh, entity so uh, and then I got help from uh, um, I was lucky uh, that my father uh, knew a lawyer that could help me set up the company nice and um, I also had help with uh, accounting and stuff because you need to uh, in Norway you need to deliver uh, a value-added tax report every uh, two months 
and you need to uh, deliver the yearly uh, revenue report and stuff like that uh, every year. So there is a lot of paperwork to do. But um, yeah, I was very lucky with the support around me to actually help me do that. Uh, I don't think I could uh, have done all that myself. Uh, I did uh, actually do a lot of the taxes myself in the start, which was just wow. I understand why you need an education to do this. And uh, yeah, that's overwhelming. You mentioned about your father, right? Just now. Yeah. So... Mm. How, and again, me being older and thinking about if I had a son that age and, you know, that son would come to me and say, you know what, I want to make a company about keyboards, right? Uh, I would probably go like every family normally would go like, what are you talking about? So, you know, your 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 father apparently and your, your, your family apparently supported you on this. How did they see you telling them, oh, you know what, I have an idea which is to make a keyboard companies selling keyboards that they can see that they cost 10 pounds you know the typical <laughs> membrane keyboard costs 10 pounds yeah that's that's a good uh, question why uh, why <laughs> why i got support uh, for that but i think i proved myself in the earlier group eyes because they knew i was sending out a lot of packages i was just every day at the post office and stuff like that in uh, some uh, periods i was just at the post office just yeah, every it was your vacation, day. your vacation yeah. would be on on post office, right? Definitely. After after school, I will just uh, print uh, print uh, packing uh, labels and just you know sending packages, bicycle down to the post office, and uh, just deliver all the packages. Um, so I think I kind of proved myself that way that this was a real business, not just. Uh, not just uh, something. <laughs> yeah, that's another just came stupid up. idea. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm not sure if they thought there would be any profits in it. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, uh, my father actually owns his own company as well. So it's uh, maybe he knew how it works. I don't know. Yeah, he would have his own view on, you know, being being your own business and stuff. Obviously, right. Yeah, and I had to actually describe the products as luxury uh, luxury products, not just uh, a keyboard, because it's it's a luxury product like all custom mechanical keyboards. Really? And you, you need think to understand. So? <laughs> yeah, you think yeah, that I the think... keyboard. I'm joking, man. Of course, it's a luxury product. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. spend the amount of money a PC costs for a keyboard, so obviously it's a luxury product. You can do it with ten pounds. So yeah. Yeah. So that, that's how I had to describe the business. Like uh, people collect uh, stuff like watches and stuff. I had to des- uh, describe it that way instead of the tech way, you know? Correct. Uh, yeah, instead yeah. of just describing it as, oh, it's a keyboard. Oh, it's $300. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to say it's a collectible luxury item, basically. Now, speaking of that and right and about, uh, you know, collectible luxury items, etc. but, you know, we obviously have to to segue and talk to about the Fiel, right? Which was yes. your 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 first project as an actual designer and vendor, right? It really brought some innovative ideas, right, and designs at the time, right? Such as the weight and the slanted edges. So, what made you think about making the heaviest sixty percent out there, right? And uh, did you think that it would get the traction and acceptance and fame that it has today? Uh, I kind of teased it for a long time before actually releasing it. So I kind of built up some hype for it. But basically, uh, I tried a Hammer 60% case, which was an super early in the community 60% tray mount, which was really heavy uh, at the time. I was kind of blown away when I tried to hold it in my hand. It's actually lighter than the Fjell, but at the time it's it was just the heaviest 60% case by far. Um, uh, and I tried it and I loved it and I wanted to create something unique and heavy. Uh, and uh, actually me and my, one of my friends uh, actually learned Fusion and created something and sampled it and we just loved it and I wanted to... Uh, actually sell it to the world <laughs> so but but question so why the heaviest one and we know that heavy 
is you know synonym synonym of uh, of premium for us. Uh, but you know, um, why making it so so heavy as it is? Because I I believe that that it's one of the heaviest sixty uh, percent known as one of the heaviest ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's very heavy for the sixty percent. It's actually heavier than the tin. Um, yeah. So um, we wanted it heavy because uh, of acoustics when we tried to place the keyboard into it. Compared to you know, I had uh, some low profile text cases mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, text clone cases made by I think it was KBD fans but it was very early on before they had their web shop and um, and I tried to compare them and you know you could put the same keyboard into the uh, different cases and the sound profile was just so different uh, because of the heavy uh, edges there you know yeah the the, Uh, the actual material itself that that, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it just covers the entire... Uh, it was kind of high profile as well. It covered more. Uh, uh, not just the edges of the GMK keycaps, but, you know, taller taller than that. So, so it kind of uh, encapsulated the sound. And, uh, yeah, it made it sound great. It so did. It does. I was really it does. satisfied with that. And we didn't make any... We, uh, Probably could have, uh, could have make, uh, made it a little bit lighter, but, you know, it just sounded fantastic and uh, it just felt fantastic on the desk. Uh, so we just <laughs> yeah, wanted yeah. to go go ahead with it. So Now, on, on that note, right, so um, in, a, in, a, um, in a continuation from the Clipper, right, which is, sorry, in a continuation about the Fiel, we have to talk about the Clipper, which is, yeah. uh, you know, one of the best 60%, you know, tray mount and i don't like to use the term budget but you know this is how the people know it the budget cases out there right um so it has been you know has seen a lot of releases and it seems to be a staple at the moment in the keyboard hobby as one of the best 60 percent tray mount cases out there right um you already you also incorporated some very interesting design ideas like the removable center mounts and you know and even though it does not have a weight, it's still very heavy, right? But question is, with the success, success of the Fiel, right, and his higher price point, uh, how did it come about thinking of, you know what, I'm going to do a, you know, a cheaper 60% tray mount case uh, and not con- continue to go on only that route of, um, you know, the premium 60%. Yeah, so uh, the original Fiel was $250, which was uh, a too li- uh, low pro- uh, price point for me to actually sell the case uh, as proven by the first group buy. Yeah. So I needed to actually increase the price of the Fiel to $290, which is the current price as well, uh, for round two of Fiel. So I realized that's super expensive for a keyboard case. So... Uh, I wanted to create something uh, more affordable, uh, so I started out with, uh, I think I called it Project Simple in the start. I just wanted a simple 60% case uh, to sell. Um, and this was before the KBD fans Tofu existed as well. And um, uh, I wanted a high profile, uh, good keyboard case, and the goal was to have the whole kit for 199 US dollars, which I did not actually do until two years after, because uh, it was uh, a too low price point to include everything uh, at the low quantities in in the beginning. Yeah. But uh, in the start, uh, we had we did have it uh, for hundred and seventy nine dollars, I think, for the Clipper case, which was significantly lower than the Fiel R uh, R two and R three and. Uh, yeah, so we just wanted to have a lower price point and maintain a lot of the qualities of the Fiel case. You know, the mounting is exactly the same um, and it's uh, it has uh, thick aluminum walls, uh, but, you know, no weight. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, you talked about the removable standoffs and that's uh, something we did in R3 uh, and for, of the Clipper. 
and also carried over to the next revision of the FIAL. Uh, that was to have you know more features uh, for the same price, which I think, which I think it's a it's, it's an amazing idea, right? Because it's something so simple, but at the same time, you know, so change it changes the board completely, yeah. right? It's not something fixed. You can decide either to have them or not, and you know, it's actually a, a very interesting design idea, to be honest. So, so we did manage to actually implement those, and uh, after two years after the initial release of the Clipper, I think 2019, uh, uh, yeah, the original release was in 2017, and then in 2019 we actually had the price down to 120 dollars for the case, uh, Clipper case, and uh, actually uh, 199 for the whole kit, which was the goal from the beginning. And we finally made it because of uh, the increasing quantities, uh, an enormous amount of quantities uh, sold uh, during the summer of 2019. Yeah, if I remember, if I remember mine when when I got into it, I think you you guys sold like what 1,000 of them or more. Uh, yeah, uh, around, uh, around 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 uh, 1,000. That's including the fiello. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, when we had the. Uh, 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 Clipper round four, and that would be the Fiel R5. Uh, we did at the same time, uh, May this year. Yeah, uh, and we had uh, almost a thousand cases in total sold. So yeah, that was uh, our largest sale by far. Were you surprised about those numbers? Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially considering uh, uh, COVID nineteen and uh, the economy at the time. It was just. Uh, at the bottom of everything uh, and uh, people still wanted keyboard cases so yeah now there has been a lot of discussion in the community you know and wishes to have in-stock products and you could say that you know with 1000 orders of a of a clipper that you know you would be comfortable in ordering that amount and having it in stock but my question is from a vendor perspective, very objective vendor perspective, right? Uh, what do you think about this, about in-stock products? Okay, so uh, Mechanisk has actually been producing at full capacity since May, since we had the group. We're still sending out some orders from this pre-order. So uh, we have had no uh, chance at all to have uh, in-stock of the Fjell and Clipper because of... Uh, almost everything going to the pre-orders and uh, like 99% of the produced cases go to, uh, going to pre-orders and the rest going uh, of production going to samples and stuff for me to actually develop new products mm-hmm. um, yeah and uh, if we wanted to have stuff in stock we needed to uh, not sell a single keyboard for uh, maybe uh, three four more um, and just have have it um, have the manufacturing uh, produce up cases for me to sell, and when I would put all those cases um, online in the webshop, it would probably sell out really fast. And and then you would get hate mail a- yeah, after that, definitely. right? <laughs> so so I definitely want to move to more in stock products because it's so much more convenient for people to actually have the orders shipped when they order them. But uh, I think uh, vendors need to move, uh, at least for me, I need to move to a more hybrid. So you have uh, maybe 200 clipper cases in stock, first come, first serve. After those are sold, it starts uh, going over to pre-orders. So I think that's the only way to have in stock at the moment, uh, because uh, at least for us, we can't produce the cases fast fast enough for the demand there is so much demand and this hobby is growing so fast it's it's incredible you can see it by the numbers agreed of cases right. sold you know yeah. in yeah earlier but this year do you see it do you see ever this you know and again because of all the discussion do you ever see it this happening and you know speaking about mechanism speaking about other brands but do you ever see um you know our custom hobby getting into the into a point where always in stock because i'm going to be honest me i don't see it that way i don't think that we will be able you know in the next one two three years to be 
at that point because we know it takes a lot of investment, right? It's not yeah. just, uh, you know, because if you think about it, $110 for a Clipper case, even though, yes, like you said, there's margins on it, but it doesn't matter. Let's think that if you want 100 cases, you're talking about thousands of dollars, right? So a vendor investing all that money just hoping it's probably very complicated, right? And like you said, and then the manufacturing time also yeah. includes, right? But do you see that this happening in the long run? I think we will continue to see pre-orders, uh, especially for CNC-made cases. I think uh, uh, keyboards like uh, the NK65 by Novel Keys maybe can move into in-stock soon. Uh, because <laughs> he, he, he uh, might try it, right? He might try it, but... but Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three thousand, and, and and they were gone in minutes, right? Which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, but uh, but I think if you can scale up production and actually continue to have them de- delivered, uh, that's uh, three thousand is enormous quantity for mechanical keyboards. That is, that's like OEM uh, levels almost. Correct. That that was that was I was going to say. Then does it really then classify as a custom? keyboard and not an OEM keyboard that you just buy out of the store I think uh, because it doesn't hmm I'm not sure uh, but I think it's a lot greater value to buy something from Novel Keys than uh, oh, totally. other OEM totally brands agree. totally agree on that but uh, but you know I mean in that sense is that uh, then would we look into it as an OEM product in the end after a year two years people would be saying, oh yeah, NK65 is OEM, it's not a custom keyboard because you just buy it out of the store, right? Um, which I think that, you know, like you said, totally different product from an OEM board, but still, you know, it would probably have, uh, you know, someone mentioning, if people are sending hate mails because they couldn't buy a, an NK65, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. this is what it is. Right? That sucks, yeah. yeah. Now, Another note, and this one I need to raise it because I was totally blown away, right? And it is known that Mechanisk puts a lot of emphasis on quality, you know, both of the products as well as the support. And, uh, you know, I cannot help but bring up a personal experience that I had with you. And, uh, you know, I was doing a build stream for the Clipper. I broke a screw on the board. I thought, you know, I attributed it to my personal error being dumb and trying to screw it too much and it broke um and then i got a message from you saying that you know i saw your 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 vod and we know that it is an issue with the manufacturing that we had uh, and i would like to offer you a replacement now this is not really the norm on most manufacturers and even if it happened people would not reach out and say hey this is an issue from our side so what makes it so that you look and take so much attention to the quality and to the support as well of the of your product. Well, I'm very happy to hear that you you uh, you appreciate oh, man, that it was, because it was unbelievable. To be honest, I I just need to say it was unbelievable your your action. To be honest, yeah, it needs to be recognized because I really enjoy when people make uh, build streams, unboxings, pictures of the products. I really enjoy it. I if you know if you tag me. Or if I see the title of my product in uh, VOD or something, I, I will watch that video. Uh, and I want to see how people react to the product. Uh, and uh, we did have a manufacturing defect with uh, the Clipper TR4 and Fjell R5. Uh, with a few of the cases where uh, the holes weren't tapped uh, for the screws that were included, basically. So... So uh, the length of the screw uh, was uh, six millimeters when we were supposed to include five millimeter screws. Yeah. And in yeah. addition to that, we also um, wanted to uh, improve our tapping because some of uh, uh, the screw holes did have uh, sand from the sandblasting in them. So yeah, uh, we did resolve that issue quite fast, but. Uh, some cases uh, actually were shipped before that, including yours. So we did see 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 the issue, and we wanted to uh, fix it because we want happy customers. I don't want 
I don't want to save the price of that product and have an unhappy customers. It's not it's not worth it at all. Uh, you want to have happy customers, and that's the kind of my philosophy. If it's just it doesn't cost me like uh, the retail price to to replace the product it does cost the company money of course no, that's the truth right is that it does cost you money and, and to be honest you know again i would not never be a person that would go to you go like oh you know this screw broke what the hell is happening because you know for me i just you know screwed it too hard right i should have noticed this is my personal opinion now people might be totally different in 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 looking at things you know everyone has a different way of looking at things but myself i thought that you know I should have, me personally, feel that it's stuck. That's it. And and don't screw it more. And I just, you know, I took it as my own error. And I would never, you know, and there was even people telling me, hey, why don't you reach out to Leandrin? You know, and I said, no, why would I, man? What legitimacy would I have to go to Leandrin and say, hey, I broke a screw because I was too dumb and I screwed it too much. You know, so I was really, really, and again, this is why I want to do to bring this on, on the podcast too, because I was really overwhelmed with your response to it. You know, again, because first of all, you shouldn't even be looking at my very basic video about it. And then second of all, you know, you shouldn't even be contacting me about that. So, you know, this is where I saw that you do really care about that level of support, right? Which is you know, like I, like we're saying, it's not cheap. Even though it's, uh, we know that it's not the same price that you buy, that I would buy the, the case from Mechanisk, uh, because of the reason that you mentioned before, because of all the overheads, etc. But you know, there's still money involved, right? So, so it was very impressive, and you know, for me, for you to reach out and and to do that. I think we have, uh, yeah, that's that's great to hear. Uh, hear. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I think we um, we have a philosophy uh, that we will solve the issue if Mechanisk is at fault or we are partly at fault. We will take the uh, economic uh, responsibility for it. And if you have other issues that you may have caused yourself, uh, which is not in any part uh, Mechanisk uh, Mechanisk's fault, we will still try to help you because. Uh, this is a community and I talk to my customers daily in my discord and in other discords and it's not cool to have an unhappy customer and talk to them in a discord you know we are a community so I feel like uh, you know when I sell products I sell it kind of to, to my friends you know and and uh, suddenly every customer that's uh, that orders from me can just join my discord and talk to me directly and i want everyone or at least as many as possible you can't have everyone happy but uh, at least uh, as many as possible uh, to be happy and you can have a nice conversation about the product you can take feedback uh, and stuff like that i don't want an unhappy customers that oh uh, this product sucks and stuff like that i don't want you know I want the only thing i can say that the issue. i'm very unhappy now is because of your action i will never be able to flip your board for like one thousand five hundred dollars so yeah unfortunately that's something that i would never be able to do right <laughs> just joking yeah. Right? but yeah you know you know keep uh, keep them close and uh, you know and paid, won't, uh, like like yeah. like we said before paid for it and to be honest you know again yeah you know i was telling you i probably will We'll give that case to my to my niece, which has no clue what a you know a, a premium mechanical keyboard is. So I'm guessing that she will you know she will be completely crazy when she sees that. Yeah. Now, on that note, then after the metal metal rectangles, like we say, right? You started to dive into much more products, such as stabilizers and switches. You know, tell me a bit about this experience of running this and you know what were any you know hurdles that you might f- face compared to you know CNCing boards etc making keyboards what did you see that were you know different obstacles that you found while trying to do this yeah well there are always hurdles when connecting more suppliers to your supply chain so 
uh, when you're talking about stabilizers, uh, you need to uh, be talking with people in China and uh, you might have a language barrier and stuff like that. Uh, but you also need to figure out the uh, logistics on how you're going to deliver the product. Are you going to ship them to Norway? Are the, you going to ship it to your factory in China, inside China, and then have it shipped to each customer? And you need to figure out uh, stuff like that. That was the main hurdles because uh, uh, luckily the, the stabilizers are uh, sorted from the factory, but like switches aren't sorted from the factory so who's gonna do that job then you need to have uh, close relations to a factory that would want to source switches for you and uh, know the product you know uh, or you have to uh, ship it to uh, yourself uh, and if i would have to double ship everything to norway now uh, <laughs> that wouldn't work at all uh, mechanics couldn't be competitive at all so so you need to have, um, you know, you need to be friends with your suppliers, uh, basically. Correct. And yeah. uh, talk to them uh, like you would talk to a friend, usually. And uh, just, uh, yeah, have them close. And uh, you need to learn the product to them. What is the product? And they need to understand how it works so they can deliver the best fulfillment experience. Now, on that note, right, so... Again, you 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 work with a with a with a Chinese factory, both for your boards as to the other parts. Um, do you think that they've uh, understood your uh, level of of uh, you know quality that you wish to have, etc.? Do you think that you got into a relationship now, like you said, especially with with language barriers that we know that that exist? But do you think that they actually understand that quality intent and in all the products that you're putting out yeah definitely we do have uh, like agreements some uh, uh, like official agreements uh, uh, that both parties sign uh, for how the quality is going to be but that doesn't help if they don't understand the product Correct. so mm -hmm. if you if you go to a factory that's used to making car parts they won't make a beautiful keyboard they will make a keyboard full of scratches because it's still functional so you need to describe to them, uh, this is a lux uh, luxury keyboard and the finish is super important. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it remind, you have it reminds to do me, stuff like it's that. It's very curious. It reminds me, uh, as I said on, on, the, on my interview, right? So I lived in Morocco for five years. And, um, you know, I had my own car that I brought from Portugal to Morocco, which was a Citroën C4. And I remember a local saying that, you know, your Citroën C4 compared to the Citroën C4s here is completely different because of that, because people don't really look at the quality of the product as we do in Europe, right? Which is completely different. We, you know, if you have a, if, if the doors are not aligned, someone will not buy it in the store because the doors are not aligned. Well, they're not a problem, right? So, yeah. Uh, I take that, like you said, about them understanding, you know, our point of view, which is, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a different market. So people are much more concerned about quality than other places. So, you know, it's it's curious that uh, that they understand that, which is interesting. I actually built a keyboard for them and sent it uh, sent it there so they could have and look at the finished product. I think that helps a lot uh, in the process. Exactly, like 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 when they saw my car. Correct. It's 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 seen the difference. Yeah, it, it is important. Yeah, yeah. Now, another another topic we normally go with everyone about this topic. Again, not bringing up drama or anything, but if you could change something in the keyboard hobby today, what would it be? I think uh, I would want uh, the uh, elitism to be toned down a bit. It's it's a bit much uh, when people, you know, uh, just discard uh, certain ty types of keyboards from the uh, custom keyboards um, just because they are cheaper, basically. Yeah, uh, I agree. They can be just as good uh, keyboards as your... Uh, one thousand uh, dollar you know ex exclusive rare mechanical keyboard uh, and you know uh, 
remove the idea of making up your mind about something that you have not tried yourself yet. Because, you know, if people say, oh, tray mount is bad, and they haven't tried all the different types of tray mounts. I mean, I've used keyboards that are not tray mounts that feel worse than tray mounts. It's it's down to the keyboard more than the mounting style, in my opinion. I agree. And uh, people people need to at least try it before they have an opinion on it. Uh, to be honest, yeah, it, it it is my point too. Is that you know you need to try it. Personal preference, you know, again something that people hear hate to hear about, but it's true. Personal preference, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, if you if you're happy with it, even like you said, even if it's a if it's um you know a, a poker, doesn't matter. If if it's something that you're happy with, then yeah, it is your own keyboard. You you built it. That's it, right? It doesn't mean that. Just because you don't have a, a one thousand dollar keyboard, that you're not important for the community, right? Yeah, definitely. Hey, your example and a lot of other examples of people that started doing plate group buys, etc. Look where you are, and you know this is a message for everyone listening to us. It, you know, it doesn't matter. You just need to start and then learn, evolve, and and you'll figure out that. Maybe the your maybe your prefer, pre- preferable mounting style is actually tray mount, and you've tried others, and you say no, no, this for me it's my bef- you know my favorite one, and doesn't yeah. matter resonance, doesn't matter play mounts, which have a lot of ping, which is true, but you know if you're happy, that's it, right? Yeah, right. So 2020 has been a hell of a year for everyone. Right with the human malware, yeah. with everything. So, you know, what's next for Mechanisk? You know, uh, what 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 are your plans for the future? So uh, we have uh, we are still shipping out uh, pre-orders. So when we're done with that, we plan on having some Clipper and Fjell in stock to sell um, because we are producing up extras. Uh, and after that, uh, we will uh, probably. I have teased the tin uh, gasket mount, uh, tankless and 65% from uh, Mechanisk that's coming later. Uh, and uh, of course, tinned se- uh, 60%, which was in Group I this, um, this summer, will ship uh, in probably December or January next year. Uh, looking at it now. And uh, yeah, so we have a lot of stuff that's coming up, but. Uh, we just uh, need to take our time now to fulfill the final pre-orders. And uh, when that's done, we are going to have uh, uh, a lot of stuff, hopefully, available. And also a lot of pre-orders coming. Um, hopefully some hybrid pre-orders, like some in stock. And when that's sold out, we are putting the rest on uh, back order. So people can still join even uh, even if they're not fast enough for the uh, in-stock uh, keyboard. Any secret keyboard that you're not telling us about that is probably going to come next year, something like that? Uh, <laughs> I've just teased uh, the tin, the tankless, and the sixty-five percent, which uh, just have some a few renders out. Uh, those are planned uh, for you know uh, sampling and uh, group by next next year. Uh, in addition to that, we have some um, uh, some other plans for the Clip S, which ran last year. Uh, we're going to redesign it a bit and have a more aff- affordable sandwich mount available. Uh, and also incorporate the Mechanisk uh, isolation system that's used in the tin, which we did make a lot of custom molded uh, silicon gaskets for. Uh, for uh, to easily be uh, adopted to other keyboard sizes and price points, so hopefully we will have a more affordable uh, isolation slash gasket mount available uh, next year as well. So basically, what you're telling That's me is that I need to save money because I'm going to to have to buy one. That's basically what you're yeah, telling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. good. Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. Right. So, um, only thing left to say is thank you so much for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Um, everyone else, guys, I'm going to put all of the Mechanisk uh, links down in the show notes 
uh, please go and visit if you haven't yet, if you're not familiar with Mechanisk, you're not in the keyboard hobby at all, right? But um, but again, you know, Leandrin, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate your, your Thanks time. for uh, having me. Thanks for having me. It, uh, very, very cool show. I will uh, definitely continue to listen thank you so much, to man. the podcasts uh, coming out. And also, hopefully, if you stream... You have to let me know so I can hop in the chat. I will tell. And, uh, I will try. It's been yeah. t- tough. Like I said, you know, uh, building keyboards for yourself. You know, it's not like every week that you can, that you can have a keyboard to build. But uh, yeah, some some ideas are yeah, coming. Yeah, that's for, uh, for, understandable for yeah, sure. Yeah. For the next uh, for the next weeks, something is probably going to come up. Uh, I'm probably thinking of doing a, a charity stream at a certain point. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Cool. Nice. Thank you so much again, Leandro. It was a pleasure to have you here. And uh, everyone, we have, um, as you are aware, we have uh, an email address, thethalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, any feedback to send us, please do. Uh, you can also follow us on um, on Twitter at thethalk uh, to get notified of any new episodes that come in. And again, Leandrin, thank you for joining. Once again, it was a pleasure. Guys, you guys have a good one.